And Lord, I pray that you'd come now and work in our hearts through your word as we prepare our hearts for celebrating communion together. Would you use your word with great power to remind us, to stir us so that we would see and feel the glory of the birth of Jesus and and the cross of Jesus, maybe more clearly than, than we ever have before. We can't make that happen, Lord. That takes a supernatural work of your spirit. And you love to do that supernatural work. And we ask you to do it. Do it in me and do it in each of us. I pray that no one would leave unchanged today. That you would show us your glory. Show us your glory, God, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the book of Revelation, uh, we read that Satan is the accuser of, of believers, which means that, that one of the weapons Satan uses against us is to try to plague us with guilt. So we feel guilty before God for something we've done, and maybe in the distant past, like in high school, you hurt somebody, and you also just, odd. you're feeling guilty before God for that. Or maybe you, you in the past lied about something, and then Satan just brings that clear to your mind, so you're feeling like, oh, I'm guilty before God. Or maybe you... You know, you stole something, whatever it might be. And and Satan loves to plague us with the sense of guilt before God because when we're feeling guilty before God, we will be distant from God, right? Which leaves us very vulnerable if we're moving away from God. Or we, in, in addition, we also stop sensing the love of God, which leaves us empty and susceptible to temptation. When we're tempted with guilt, we also can try to do something good to make up for the wrong we've done, which is the path of self-righteousness, which is also wrong. So on numerous fronts, if Satan can plague us with guilt, then he's got us. So I never want any of us ever again to be plagued with guilt. And so what do we do at those times when, when that guilt comes upon us for something in the past? We've confessed it, we've dealt with it before the Lord, but all of a sudden, bam, it's back. You all know what that's like. So what do we do? Paul tells us what to do. What do, what do we do? Claim the blood of Jesus, Robert says. Okay, so I was going to take us exactly the same place and through a different avenue. Uh, Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He's given us a sword of the Word, which so various passages about the cross, about what the blood of Jesus Christ has accomplished. Pull out the sword and slay Satan when he does that to us. That's what we need to do. Don't settle for it. Slay him in those attacks. And so what I want to do this morning is give you another passage to use for this. One maybe you've never used before, but oh, this week, as I've been studying this passage and praying over this passage, it is so rich with truth about what God has done for us in Christ. I can't wait to share it with you. So let's turn to Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. Now, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We want to bring you a Bible. You've got to have a Bible here at Mercy Hill because we love teaching the Bible. The Bible's words are the most important words you're going to see here this morning. So Romans 8, 1 through 4. And if you need a Bible, with one of these we're passing out, it's on page 944. So go ahead and turn there. Romans 8, 1 through 4. So we're taking four weeks this Christmas season to ask the question, um, why did Jesus become a man 2,000 years ago in the manger? God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. God was born as a baby. Ponder that. It's just mind-blowing. It's exactly what happened. The God who has lived from eternity past with no beginning 
Jesus Christ, the Word, we saw last week in John 1, was born as a baby. And so why? And so two weeks ago, we looked at Philippians chapter 2, and we saw that it was so Jesus could humble himself as a man and then to the point of obedience on the cross. That's why he became a man. Then last week we saw from John 1 that he came as a flesh and blood man who lived and walked among us so we could see God's glory in him. Clearly, for ourselves. Read about God's glory. He was here in history. And then this morning we're going to see a third reason why God became man in Romans 8, 1 through 4. So let me read what Paul wrote in these verses. Paul says, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son, so there's Christmas, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay, so in verse 1, you caught that, right? Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that there's no condemnation? I want us to to feel this. I want us to see this and understand the massive implications of this. So, as I was thinking about it, it struck me that to, to know what it would mean for there to be no condemnation, we first need to be clear on what it means for there to be condemnation. What does it mean that we were under condemnation? And we can see that two chapters earlier, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Go ahead and turn there, just two chapters to the left. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 describes what it meant for there to be condemnation. Romans 6, 23, here's what Paul says. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now notice that phrase, the wages of sin. So he's talking here about the just payment, the just penalty that sin deserves. So is there anybody here who has not sinned? Just want to make sure we're talking to the right group of people. Anybody here who has, who has not sinned? I didn't think so, okay. So all of us face the wages of sin, the just payment, the just penalty that sin deserves. And Paul says that just payment is death. And it's clear that he's not just talking about physical death because he contrasts death in verse 23 with eternal life. So it's eternal death is what we were under the condemnation of, which meant eternal separation from God and eternal punishment from God. Tragic. So that's the condemnation we were under because of our sin. We were facing eternal, just think about it, looking ahead, eternal separation from God, punishment by God. We were under condemnation. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine, um, tragically, that like in a fit of rage you killed someone and were arrested and tried and found guilty and faced the death penalty. 
So there you were on death row. And you knew. So you were under condemnation. You're, you're, as you looked ahead to your life, the death penalty was coming. There was nothing you could do about it. It was absolutely just. And there you were. I mean, try to feel the weight of, the, of being under condemnation. Okay? But then imagine that one day you hear the, the key in your cell door turn and the door swings open and the jail warden is there. And he says, uh, your penalty's been paid and you are free to go. You're no longer under condemnation. There is now no condemnation. And so can you just get a little feel of what it would be like to walk out of the prison with this condemnation gone? You've been under condemnation. Now it's gone. I mean, think of how the sun would look and the, the grass would look and the, and the children would look and your whole life has been changed. You were under condemnation and now you're no longer under condemnation. Now multiply that being under condemnation, and now having there be no condemnation with the death penalty, multiply that an infinite times, and that's what Paul's talking about in verse 1 of Romans 8. Back to Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We were under condemnation. We were facing eternal death unending separation from God, unending punishment, the just penalty for our sin. But now that's all changed. Now there's no condemnation. None. No condemnation. No eternal separation from God. No eternal punishment. Just God's love in Christ poured into our lives now. Just all of his promises for us now in this life. Doesn't mean easy street. There's trials like Phil mentioned. We go through difficult times, but he was sustaining us. He's loving us. And then it's eternity where we have the joy of gathering with all the redeemed from every nation, tongue, and tribe to worship God in Christ forever and ever. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's verse 1. Now, It's not everyone, though, who has no condemnation. Did you catch that in verse 1? Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for whom? For those who are in Christ Jesus. So here's the million-dollar question. What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus, right? How can we tell if we are in Christ Jesus? And Paul answers that in verse 2. Let's read verses 1 and 2 together to get the flow of thought here. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and of death. Okay, now what's this law of sin and of death? Let's start there. What's that law? And it's Paul's description of the power of sin. The the law of sin and of death is Paul's description of the power of sin that's been in all of us. And Paul calls it a law of sin and of death because unless we're freed from that power of sin, it will lead us to eternal death, Romans 6.23. So that's the law of, of sin and death. Unless we're freed from that power of sin in us, it will lead us to eternal death. Now here's the problem. We can't free ourselves from the power of sin in us. I mean, we can change ourselves on the outside and start telling the truth or, you know, working hard at your job or, you know, caring for the poor. And 
And those aren't bad things to do. We can change ourselves on the outside, but we can't change ourselves on the inside. Because deep down inside, the problem is we don't want to bend the knee before God. That's the essence of sin. We don't want to bend the knee before God is revealed in Jesus Christ. Glad to take care of the poor, eases my guilt feelings a little bit, makes me feel a little better about myself, but bending the knee before God? No! That's the, the heart of sin. I want to call the shots myself. I want to make my own decisions. Don't mess with my heart. I want to love what I want to love. I'm not going to bend the knee before God. That's, that's the problem of sin, and so we can't change ourselves. Okay? Bad news, except for verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So so what's the law of the spirit of life? That's Paul's description of the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. So here's how this works. The moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ... And receive him into your life as your savior and your Lord and your, your heart-satisfying treasure. At that moment, a number of things happen, but one of them is God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity comes to dwell inside of you powerfully. And the Holy Spirit, Paul says here, is the spirit of life. And so for the first time, you taste and experience the life of beholding the glory of Jesus Christ. For the first time, you feel the heartfulness of seeing Jesus' glory and loving Jesus' glory and being filled and satisfied and beholding God's glory in the person of Jesus Christ. Your eyes are opened, you see him, you love him, you worship him, and you gladly, you gladly bend the knee before this glorious God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. You love him. Yes, take my life. Let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And so as a result, we... We love Jesus' glory more than anything, and we want to live for Jesus' glory more than anything, and that's all by the work of the Holy Spirit. You see Jesus' glory, you feel Jesus' glory, you're undone. You bend the knee, you bow, you love, you live for the glory of Jesus Christ. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Now, it's not, not that we become perfect. Okay? Few? Okay. I'm not. You're not. It's not that we become perfect, but, but it's that we're changed. Our, our lives, our hearts are changed. And so when we do sin, we quickly turn back in repentance and faith in Jesus. See the cross. No condemnation. Thank you for forgiveness. And we're back loving the glory of Jesus more than anything else and living for the glory of Jesus more than anything else. That's how we can tell we are in Christ Jesus, because that's happened to you. Now, I would guess, in a group this size, some of you are thinking, I'm not sure that's happened to me. Uh, I'm not sure that that's happened to me. And so what should you do? Very simple. Jesus Christ stands before you with everything you need. Everything you need everything you need. And so turn to him. Ask him to help you. Ask him for a fresh outpouring of that work of the Holy Spirit. Open up God's word. 
Pray over scriptures that describe the glory of Jesus Christ. Pray over God's word. Ask God, open my eyes, help me to see. And he will be faithful to you. You will see his glory in a fresh way. You will love his glory in a fresh way. You will gladly bend the knee before Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and your treasure. And you will love Jesus' glory more than anything else. And you will want to live for Jesus' glory more than anything else. And then you will know that you are in Christ. And you'll know that because you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, now that raises a third question. And it's the one Paul answers in verse 3. Okay, you're telling me that there's no condemnation. I've sinned. The just penalty for sin is eternal death, but now there's no condemnation. Why? How can a just God free me from condemnation? How can he do that? And Paul answers that in verse 3. He says, read this, For God has done what the law, he's talking about the Old Testament law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Okay, so God did what the Old Testament law could not do. What the Old Testament law could not do was remove condemnation from us. And the reason was because the Old Testament law condemned sin, and rightly so. And we in our flesh sinned. So if the Old Testament law condemns sin, and we in our flesh are in sin, all the Old Testament law can do is condemn our sin. It can't remove condemnation. It speaks condemnation. That's what the Old Testament law could not do. But God did what the Old Testament law could not do. Here's what he did. God sent his own son in the likeness, language is very important that Paul uses here, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now think about this. If Paul had said God sent Jesus in sinful flesh, then you'd think Jesus sinned. That's not what he says. He says God sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh to make sure we understand that Jesus did not sin. This is so important to get to see what God did for us here. Jesus Christ is the only human being who's ever lived on the face of the earth, who has never, ever sinned. Go back thousands of years before Jesus. Thousands of years back, back, back. Sin, 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 sin. All sin. Go thousands of years after Jesus. Sin, 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 right? Only Jesus never sinned. Only Jesus perfectly trusted the Father All the time. Perfect trust in his Father. Only Jesus perfectly loved God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength all the time. Love the Father. Love your glory. Love your majesty. Love you, Father. Only Jesus perfectly loved his neighbor as himself. All the time. All the time. All the time. Only Jesus perfectly obeyed God. Jesus never sinned. And so Paul says God sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh. 
And, he says, God sent Jesus for sin. For sin. And that phrase means that God sent Jesus to do something about our sin. So, what did he do about our sin? Okay, read verse 3 again. For God has done what the law, the Old Testament law, weakened by our sinful flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Underline those words. I hope that those words in the weeks and months ahead will frequently be coming into your mind saying, Father, thank you for condemning sin in the flesh. Jesus, thank you for being willing to come so the Father could condemn sin in the flesh. So what does that mean that God condemned sin in the flesh? First of all, whose flesh did God condemn sin in? Well, he's been talking about why God sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh. So Jesus' flesh is what's predominantly being focused on here. So it's not our flesh. He didn't condemn sin in our flesh. He condemned sin in Jesus' flesh. Whose sin did he condemn in Jesus' flesh? Jesus did not sin. None of Jesus' sins are there. There there were never any. He lived a perfectly righteous life. So what Paul is saying here is that God condemned your sin in Jesus' flesh and my sin in Jesus' flesh and all the sin of all the redeemed God condemned in Jesus' flesh. Now this is so important to understand. God is just. He's perfectly just. And so every sin has to be condemned. Has to be. And we've sinned. But God loves us. God cares about us. None of us comes close to seeing the depth and the height and the length and the breadth of God's love for us. He loves you. You've sinned. He's perfectly just. Your sin has to be condemned. He loves us. So he's made a way for our sin to be condemned, not in us. And he did that by sending Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. So as sinless Jesus Christ hung on the cross, your sin was being condemned in his flesh. Your sin was being punished in his flesh. As he suffered the agony of the cross, he was suffering the agony that your sin deserved. As he was experiencing God's punishment on the cross, that was God's punishment for your sin that you deserve to experience. In Jesus Christ, God condemned our sin in Jesus' flesh. Our sin was condemned not in us, but in Jesus. Now, just follow Paul's thinking. If your sin has been condemned in in Jesus, think of Jesus on the cross. Jesus came in in the likeness of sinful flesh, okay? Born as a man with flesh. And, and, and the flesh that Jesus took on, one of the reasons for it was so that it could hang on the cross and could experience the punishment that we deserve. And if, if the condemnation that you deserve for your sin was put upon Jesus on the cross, 
If all the condemnation for all of your sin was put upon Jesus on the cross, if yesterday's impatience was punished in Jesus on the cross, and last week's lust was punished in Jesus on the cross, and tomorrow's gossip was punished in Jesus on the cross, if all, get where I'm going here, if, if all of your condemnation was punished in Jesus on the cross, how much more condemnation is there for you? There is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation, because all the condemnation you deserve for your past sin, present sin, future sin, all the condemnation you deserve for your sin was poured out upon Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, oh, I hope you'll, that this phrase, that God condemned sin in the flesh, will start to mean, and you'll love that truth, and God, you condemned my sin in your son's flesh. You sent Jesus with flesh so that you could condemn my sin in your son's flesh. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is therefore now no condemnation. Get the sword of the Spirit and start slaying with that stuff. Okay? Powerful. Powerful truth. So, when you're accused by Satan, look again to the cross. See the cross. All of the condemnation that I do deserve was poured out upon Jesus. I'm united to Jesus by faith. By faith alone in Christ alone, all of my condemnation was poured out upon him. There's no condemnation for me. Yes, I did that. I did that. No condemnation for me. He's forgiven me. Okay? That's how to respond. And so, see, this is why at Christmas 2,000 years ago, Jesus took on human flesh. He took on human flesh, lived a perfectly sinless life so that the Father could condemn your sin in his flesh, so there could be no condemnation for you. Now, Paul doesn't stop there, though. He has one other crucial truth he wants us to understand. It's in verse 4. The question is, what results? What results from having our sin be condemned in, in Jesus? Now, here's why this question is so important, why Paul wants to go there. Some people think it's possible to be forgiven for all of your sin, to have there be no condemnation, and to keep living the same way you were living before. Some people think that's possible, that you can receive forgiveness and keep living just as sinfully, just as far from God, not bending the knee before God as you were before. Uh, in verse 4, Paul says that's not possible. Read verses 3 and 4 together so you can see why it's not possible. Verse 3, For God has done what the law the Old Testament law, weakened by the flesh, our sinfulness, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned our sin in Jesus' flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay, notice those words, in order that. God had a purpose for condemning our sin in Jesus' flesh. His purpose was so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, it is true that when Jesus lived and died, he perfectly in himself fulfilled all the righteous requirement of the law for us. That is true. Paul here is saying something more, though. Here Paul is saying that as a result of what Jesus Christ has done, God works in us so that we become that obedient to God, so that we are completing the, requirement, the righteous requirement 
of the law. How? By walking, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Remember, Holy Spirit, we saw that in verse 2. So again, here's how this works. God sent Jesus, born as a baby, in the flesh, so that when he would grow up, he'd go to the cross, and our sin could be condemned in his flesh. That's happened 2,000 years ago. Now today, the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord, Savior, and treasure, that moment, all your sin forgiven. Punished upon Jesus 2,000 years ago, no condemnation for you. Beautiful. At that moment, you move from being under condemnation to having there be no condemnation. Okay, But it doesn't stop there. Something else happens at that point. For every single person who trusts Jesus, something else happens at that point. And that is you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We saw this back in verse 2. The Holy Spirit sets us free from the law of sin and of death. When the Holy Spirit comes into to indwell you, the law of the Spirit of death is always, the power is broken, you're always freed. It's impossible for the Holy Spirit to indwell someone and have them not be freed from the power of sin and death. It always happens. Let me remind you why. It's because what the Holy Spirit does is he glorifies Jesus. When you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the eyes of your heart are opened, and so you see his glory. You love his glory. You feel the beauty of his majesty and love and justice and mercy and wisdom and power and grace. You see God's glory revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, and you love him. And you're satisfied in beholding his glory. He is the joy. He is the prize you were meant to live for. He's your portion. You're my good. And so we love Jesus' glory more than anything. And we live for Jesus' glory more than anything. Not perfectly, but we're changed. So when we stumble back, when we stumble into sin, we're back. Forgive me. And then the Holy Spirit comes again and our hearts are changed again. And we're back loving Jesus' glory, living Jesus' glory. That happens to everyone who puts his or her trust in Jesus Christ and has their condemnation removed. When the Holy Spirit comes into us, the law of sin and of death is broken. And we are freed from the law of sin and of death by the the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So, as we then see ourselves walking in the Spirit, okay, we're not perfect, we're walking in the Spirit, though, we're, we're, we're... Obeying the essence of the law, we're growing in loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're growing in loving our neighbor as ourselves, because we love Jesus' glory and we're living for Jesus' glory. We can be assured we're in Christ. And because we're in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, now let's just stop here for, for some questions. What questions does this raise? I want to make sure you're getting Romans 8, 1 through 4. Lots of meaty stuff going on here. And oh, this would be a great passage for you to know and understand so that you can open it up this afternoon and pray over it again. Let the Lord just meet you and minister to you. So, so what questions? I want to make sure we're clear on what this passage is teaching. Um, one reason is because that our sins are already forgiven, future But repentance brings us a fresh assurance of that because the Holy Spirit comes afresh. Sin separates us from God. The Holy Spirit comes afresh. Yes, so we're assured of what has happened. And there's probably other reasons too, just good for the soul, honors Christ. So again, your sins are forgiven, future. But when we repent, we're assured of that even more. So in the the final judgment, we'll stand before the Lord and our lives will be uh, an open book. Right? the things that have been uh, righteous and the things that have not been righteous. So the question is, how is there no condemnation? And 
any sin in Steve Fuller that is revealed on that day has already been paid for in Jesus. And so there will be no punishment for that. Those will all be revealed only as forgiven sins. It's motivation. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's motivation, and it, it also, as I've thought about it, because it's a little bit painful to think about, I think probably for, for all of us, for me it is, and, and yet, when I stand there and, and, and my life is apparent, and then the fact that somebody like me would be loved by Jesus Christ and would have my sins be paid for by Jesus Christ, it's going to display his glory. People will look at me and they'll say, man, I'm, I'm there too, but look at him! Right? So it's not like Fuller. I mean, no one's going to waste their time with that. It's look at Jesus, that he would forgive you. You're glorious, Lord. And so I think... One of the purposes, I mean, there's motivation for us now. Paul uses it that way. So does Peter, other, other New Testament writers. But it, it'll glorify Jesus Christ because we will see who our, what our lives really are, what they were. Yeah, so how can you tell when it's Satan's accusations or the Holy Spirit's convictions, right? Because there is a Holy Spirit conviction that he will bring upon us, right, for sin. And one of the ways that I, and maybe somebody else can help answer this too, but one of the ways that I tell the difference is, have I brought it before the Lord and repented of it and really laid it down before him? And if I have, then it's already been forgiven, and i got to start doing some slaying, okay? And if I haven't, then I need to do some repenting. Yes, I, I mean, I, I think totally. You're setting your mind back on the things of the Spirit, the glory of Jesus Christ, his purposes, his truth, living for him. So, yeah. Okay, other questions we can talk afterwards, but I want us to move into time of communion now. So let's have the team come on up to prepare for leading us. And I want us to just kind of take what we've seen here in Romans chapter 8 now and, and let it bring us to uh, the manger in our hearts and, and to be able to come and to say, Lord Jesus, you came. You were born. You took on flesh you were you came in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin and so we can come before the lord jesus christ right now and and celebrate communion together take the bread which is a, a picture of his body broken being condemned for our sin and we can take the cup which is the new covenant purchase the new covenant the work of the holy spirit and so we're all at different places but I would encourage some of you probably right now, you're, you're being stirred by the Holy Spirit about an area of sin that you've not confessed before the Lord that you're still clinging to. And, and let the Holy Spirit stir you by that. That's not Satan. That's the Holy Spirit stirring you. You've got to lay this down. And do. Lay it down. This is serious. Lay it down. And there will be a fresh assurance in that you're in Christ and that there's no, no condemnation. Others of you maybe are under serious satanic bouts of guilt, being plagued by guilt. And so as we're partaking of communion, as we're setting our hearts upon the cross, do some slaying this morning. Slay the lie with the truth of Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Jesus being condemned for your sin. God condemning your sin in Jesus' flesh. So deal with that. Or you may have come in here this morning not trusting Jesus Christ. Not sure about the truth of Christianity. And I would encourage you right now, turn to Jesus Christ and trust him. Receive him into your life as your Savior, your Lord, and your treasure. God will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Your heart will be changed. You'll be forgiven. And then you can join us in, in celebrating communion together. So communion is not a time for perfect people. It's time for people who realize and recognize and admit that they're sinful people who are looking to Jesus Christ for salvation. So like I said, if you, if you came in this morning not trusting Jesus, look to him now. Trust him. 
And then on that basis, do join us in in partaking of communion together. So here's how it's going to work. Team's going to lead us in two uh, songs. And then uh, during those two songs, you can come on forward to either table at your right or at your left. Take the bread, take the cup, and then go back to your seat and just be before the Lord. Let the songs show you the cross. Pray, do business with God. Ask him to search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Psalm 139, 23. See if there be any grievous way in me. Oh, he will answer that. He will help. Lord, just bring me a fresh sense of assurance. I'm struggling with guilt. Help me to slay the lie. He will do that. He will come with whatever need you have right now, as diverse as the needs are here. He's here. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he will touch your heart. So let's pray right now. I want to pray that none of us leaves here unchanged. These truths should change us no matter where you're at. So let's pray and ask God to come and work. Lord, we need your work. We can't make these things happen. You love to bring us assurance of forgiveness. You love to bring salvation to us. You love to free us from Satan's accusations. You love to stir us with fresh love for Jesus' glory and living for Jesus' glory. So with all the different needs that are here, the diverse spiritual conditions that we are, Lord, would you come right now as we worship you, as we set our hearts upon the cross, as we celebrate communion together, come and pour out your spirit upon us right now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.